The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen, Karen. Thank you for that beautiful old song. If you don't know the name of that song, it's Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You have your Bibles turned with me this morning to the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. I know the bulletin says 10 through 14, but we're going to read 11 through 14 because I think that's what's on the uh, uh, screen up here. When you find that, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And these are the words of the living God, and this is what He said For I know the plans. I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you shall call upon me and will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You shall seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from whence I carried you into exile. May the Lord add His richest blessing to the reading of His Word, and you may be seated. Now, when I, uh, when I started to... Uh, uh, prepare this message, I thought, well, this is one of the favorite verses that I hear quoted around the church all the time. And I'm sure that there are just all kinds of commentary that I can find on these verses. And so I went to my library and I pulled all my commentaries and I began to look and search. And you know what I found? Nothing. You know how that goes. Uh, and so today, uh, I thought what I would do, I would, uh, I would tell you what this verse means. I'm kind of like the little boy that was in Sunday school class, and so their teacher told them to draw uh, somebody. And uh, they all drew different kinds of pictures, and one little boy had drawn a very unusual picture, and so the teacher said, Johnny, who is this? And he said, that is God. And uh, she said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And he says, well, they will when I get through. And so when I get through preaching, you'll know what Jeremiah 11 through 14, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Uh, and, of course, we understand that this verse was written in the very dark days of uh, the nation of Judah. In 722, the nation of Israel, the ten tribes to the north, were taken off into captivity by Assyria. And for almost a hundred years, God had been sending a message to Judah saying, what happened to Israel is going to happen to you unless you repent and turn from your ways. And of course, they did not listen to him. And he sent prophet after prophet to deliver that message. And then he sent Jeremiah, and of course, that's where we get our text from this morning. And one of the things that uh, uh, was in question at that time was God's love for his people. 
You know, they, were, uh, they had been sent off to captivity. Now they were getting ready. Judah was getting ready to go off into captivity. Good to, does God really love his people that will send them off into captivity and punish them? Uh, is that really love? And, of course, the answer to that is yes. The Bible says those that God loves, he chastens. The reason that we chasten our children, and I don't know how you chasten your children, but the reason we chasten them is because we want them to do better. We want them to, to, uh, to walk according to the, what they have been taught in the home. Now, that's a problem for many people because what they are taught in the home uh, is not really good for them. But anyhow, who can question God's love for his people? In Genesis chapter 12, God had called out a certain people. We know them as Jews, or we know them as followers of Abraham, children of Abraham. He called them out, and he said, this is what he said, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That was a special calling that God placed upon Abraham and his descendants. In 175 years that Abraham uh, tried to follow the Lord, he was in trouble many, many times and committed many, many errors in his way. Yet God loved him. God kept him. God uh, enabled him to raise a, a predominant family of the earth. And, uh, and of course, uh, for many, many years, God had overshadowed them. When... Uh, the nation of Israel where it was uh, starving to death. God sent them down to Egypt. But before that, he had prepared a Savior. One of those sons, Joseph, had gone down before. And he had risen in power and influence until he was second in command of all of the authority of Pharaoh. When that nation of Israel struggling, starving to death, 70 souls went down to Egypt. Uh, God had sent that Savior to deliver them. And for 400 years, they spent their time in Egypt. And they arose and their family grew. And, to, and, and by some estimations, the two and a half million people from 70 to two and a half million. Now, God had truly blessed Israel. And, but Pharaoh had gotten used to them being his servants. And all of a sudden he looks around and there are two and a half million Israelites there. And he got afraid of them and so he put them in slavery. And of course you know what happens when bad things happen to good people. We begin to cry out, oh God, deliver us. Well you see God had already made preparation for that. Because 40 years prior to that, he had sent Moses up into the land of Midian. And Moses became the Savior that he was preparing to send back down to deliver the children of Israel. Moses came because God had prepared him to be the great deliverer. And so he uh, led the children of Israel out uh, of bondage into the promised land. And for over a thousand years... He had continued his faithful and loyal servants through kingship. He established a great nation under King David. And he said to King David that 
uh, his kingdom would, not, would never end. And of course, uh, we know that that, uh, that uh, has happened. And you see, David, uh, David's kingdom was slated to, live, to uh, be active throughout all eternity. But here it is, David died. How is David go- David's kingdom going to survive if David is gone? Well, he raised up Jeremiah uh, in these uh, last days. We believe that Jeremiah probably lived around uh, 625 uh, and, and, and went off into uh, Egypt when uh, the nation of Judah went into captivity. But he raised up Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, uh, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And what basically God said to Jeremiah, You go tell my people this message for me. And so Jeremiah was uh, raised up to deliver the message. Now, who was Jeremiah? Well, he certainly was not the most popular preacher uh, in Judah. For a half a century, Jeremiah preached for his God to the people who despised him, who feared him, who hated him, who persecuted him, who refused to listen to his words But that did not deter Jeremiah. They called him a traitor. They cast him into a pit. They plotted to kill him. In spite of the treatment, Jeremiah loved his people. And he wanted to pray for them that God would spare their captivity. And God said, don't you pray for them. Chapter 7. He said, don't you pray for them. Because I'm going to send them off into captivity for 70 long years. Now remember these verses that he wrote here in the 29th chapter was not written in the glory days, but written in the dark days. Here's some of the descriptions of those days. The nations was in shambles. The scripture says in verse 29, verse 1, the priests and the prophets and all the captives from Jerusalem. They had taken off 4,000 leaders from Judah. They're young men and they're young women and they had put them through a Uh, uh, retraining in Babylon and they were uh, to be servants in the court and the exiles were suffering from poverty and from humiliation and confusion because of this Babylonian captivity they thought that they were going to be slapped on the wrist so to speak that God would send them off for a few days and then bring them back and they would come back in triumph and glory that was not what was going to happen and so there were prophets that arose in Babylon saying, why this, temporary, this is only temporary. God loves us. He was going to send us back. He would not dare put us into captivity or in length of time. Jeremiah was commissioned to write a letter. And he wrote a letter over to the captives in Babylon. And he basically said, you're going to stay there 70 years. Don't you listen to those false prophets because... God has said you will be there 70 years. Now, verse 10 that I did not read, reads like this. When the 70 years are complete, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So God said to them, after 70 years, I will bring you back, but not before. Is that the way your life looks sometimes? Looks like you're in captivity. 
Is that, what, what do you do when all of the evidence says that God does not love you anymore? What do you do when it seems like He does not hear your cries for help? Where is God's message for me when times are dark and dreary? Where are they for my family? Where are they for our nation? You see, we have a tendency to believe that, uh, that things get worse and worse and worse and that nobody cares. There's a message in these verses, and I want to share that message with you. First of all, the message is that God has plans. And so, uh, for those of you who are the blank police, uh, God has plans for you even if you don't have plans for yourself. Now, you say, well, Brother Paul, I just kind of let things come to me. I don't have any plans. Wherever God takes me, that's fine. Well, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have a will? The rest of you that didn't raise your hands, you have a will too. You just don't know it. You see, everybody has a will. You either prescribe how you want your estate to be handled at your demise, or the state steps in and says, that's the way this estate will be handled. So you have a will. I'd rather do it myself than have somebody else to do it for me. Well, I want to tell you that God has plans for you. Whether you have plans for yourself or not, He has plans for you. First of all, His plans for you is to prosper you and not to harm you. God has plans for you. He wants to do you good, not evil all the days of your life. But I want, you, want to remind you that those plans involve some specific things. First of all, God's plans involves a place. You see, for the Israelites, that place was Jerusalem, was Palestine. And God said to them, after 70 years of, pa of captivity and the cleansing of the nation, I'm going to bring you back to this place. Verse 10. Later on, he says in verse 14, I'm going to bring you back to the place. That's the place where they loved. In fact, if you read the Psalms, there's a psalm that says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's the place they loved. And so they wanted to come back home. And they wanted to be where God had planted them. He said, I will bring you again to the place whence I've caused you to be carried away captive. Now you say, well, Brother Paul, that's for those Israelites. Well, listen to the David whom God will raise up 600 years later. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus was born, he was proclaimed the son of David. 
He said he will sit on the throne of his father, David. 600 years after Jeremiah, this prophecy was being fulfilled. You see, God's plans for you involves a place. God's preparing a place for you in heaven. Now, whether you go there or not and occupy that place, at that place is up to you. The plans that you make for your own life. God has prepared a place for you. Secondly, God's plans involves a person. In Jeremiah 30 and 9, he says, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Keep in mind that David had been dead 300 years when these words were written. So the David that we're looking for is the David that's going to be raised up later on. And we know who that person is. It's the person of Jesus. Jesus 3, uh, chapter, uh, Jesus said in John 3, chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in that sixth verse of that 14th chapter, he says, nobody comes to the Father except by me. So it involves a person. It involves a place. It involves a person. But also God's plans for you involves a profession. A profession. Look at verse uh, 12. Then you will call upon me and and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You see, it involves a profession, calling upon the name of the Lord. It involves something that you say. You say, well, Brother Paul, how close is salvation? Well, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says it's on the tip of your tongue. It's on the tip of your tongue. The word is in your mouth. Your mouth. If you profess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you'll be saved. That's what that 10th chapter says. It says, whosoever confesses. Verse 8, it says, the word is near to you. It is in your mouth. Verse 9 says, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How close is salvation? How close is completing the plans that God has for you? It's on the tip of your tongue. You can't get any closer than that. It's on the tip of your tongue, but it's also down in the depths of your heart. So God has plans for you. He's made them. Long before you were ever born, God made a plan for you. It involved a place. It involved a person. It involved a profession. But notice, if you will, in verse 13. Verse 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so the second thing I remind you of today in this message is that God can be found if you truly seek Him. If you truly seek Him. 
He can only be found when you seek him. But he can be found, he can be found when you seek him. But seeking God while he may be found. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says we need to seek the Lord while he can be found. I've heard people say, well, I preacher, I tell you what. I can be saved anytime I want to. Do you know that's a lie? Do you know that is a lie from hell? You cannot be saved anytime you want to. If you could be saved anytime you, if you could tell God when you wanted to be saved, you would be more powerful than God. Listen to what the scripture says. Seek him while he may be found. I've heard it said those who wait till the 11th hour to be saved usually die at 1030. You see, salvation is not in your hands. It is in his hands. He's a sovereign God. And it's not in your hands to play with and to use it like a toy. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is redemption. That which is worthless becomes worthy. Because of who he is. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father draw him. This seems, seems to indicate that it's only in response to the drawing of the Father can we be saved. It's not a matter of the head, but it's a matter of the heart that opens the door of salvation. Now I'm going to say this. And I may have to explain it, but I'm going to say it. We Baptists have been very relaxed as far as salvation is concerned. You see, I'm not so much concerned about the people that walk down the aisle and make a profession. I'm concerned about them five years later. Are they still walking in the way of the Lord, or is that just a a decision they've made with their head. Thinking it's going to keep them out of hell. You see, if you come to know the Lord Jesus in a personal way, five years down the road, you're still going to be walking in the way. Ten years down the road, you're going to be walking in the way. Twenty years down the road, you're going to be walking in the way. Thirty years down the road, you're going to be walking in the way. Fifty years down the road, you're walking in the way. When you're 75 years old, you're going to be walking in the way. I see so many professions of faith that it scares me. Because as I read the Bible, I believe that when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, it changes your life forever. And if it doesn't change your life forever, it's not genuine. And you need to go back and check your birth certificate. It might be illegal. Because when you meet Jesus, He changes your life. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Then seeking the Lord with the whole heart, Jeremiah 
29, 13 says, When you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Seek the Lord with your whole heart. You know when you're going to find the Lord? When he's the most important person in your life. That's when you're going to find him. When he's more important than friends and family and and anything else that you can think of. When he's the most important thing in your life, that's when you're going to find Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him with your whole heart. And then seek the Lord's heart instead of the, his hand. You see, much of our praying is for stuff. How many of you got too much stuff? I, I do. I got too much stuff. I could get along a whole lot better without a lot of stuff because I have to keep up with the stuff. I have to hunt the stuff that I don't know where it is. I know I got it. My kids will come over and say, Dad, have you got so-and-so? I'll say, oh, I got it. I bet you I got it, but let's go find it. You say, I got so much stuff. That's not important. You see, we need to seek the Lord's heart. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, probably the most influential uh, disciple that, that Jesus ever had. Oh, I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Simeon, and all these other disciples that he had was great. And here comes the Apostle Paul, late. He calls himself the 13th Apostle, or he call, people call him the 13th Apostle. Listen to what Paul he was a rabbi, a Jew of the Jews. He had, he'd been trained in the law. He knew everything about the law of God. And here's what Paul says. He says that I may know him. My heart's desire is to know him. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what the prize is? The prize is Jesus. That's what the most important thing is. And one day we're going to see him face to face. And we'll have, we'll have received our prize. You know, we've lost some precious church members in recent days. And down through the years that I've served here as your pastor, I've stood before and delivered the eulogy of many of these. You know what happened? They just beat us to the prize. They just got there before we did. We miss them. But they crossed the finish line before we did. I envy them. Because I know the joy that they're experiencing even now. You see, we need to seek the Lord's heart Jesus said in Matthew 6 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these other things shall be added to you you see we're, we're seeking after things we don't know if we seek him and find him that all the other things we have need of will be added to us the apostle Paul desired 
to reach for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then I want to share with you one final truth. Notice what he says in verse 14. God has promised restoration if they're obedient. In verse 14, he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You see, restoration is possible. It's promised. It's a precious promise of God. And how sure are we of God's promises? Well, you see, Jeremiah was faced with a dilemma. He was getting ready to go into captivity for 70 years and probably never return. Now, unfortunately, he didn't go to Babylon. He escaped to Egypt. But he never expected return to the land of Palestine. One day God said to him, Jeremiah, you know that piece of property over there that your cousin Hanamiel has? I want you to go over there and buy it. Pay him cash for it. Give him silver. Jeremiah thought, man, do I need a piece of property that I'm never going to be able to be buried in? You see, that's what they were doing. They would have a burial place. But nevertheless, Jeremiah went over and did it. He bought a, he bought a piece of property from Hanamiel, his cousin. They took the deed and they signed the deed and he paid the price. And he sealed the deed and he put it in a clay jar. God said to, to Jeremiah, he says, put it in a clay jar that's going to last for a long, long time. And they sealed that jar with that deed inside. That deed has never been found. As I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, well, you know, Brother Mike, Miss Barry, and Don, and Several of our members are over there. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they went down to Anatoth, which is on about 12 miles from Jerusalem? They started bumping around in some of those caves, and all of a sudden they saw this jar, this clay jar, and they opened it up, and there was the deed for Jeremiah's plot of ground. That would be the greatest archaeological discovery ever made. Our pastor would have his picture plastered across the pages of the, all the major newspapers. Discovered the deed of Jeremiah. Do you know that's possible? Maybe not plausible, but possible. Because you see, when God makes a promise, he never breaks it. And one day, somebody's going to discover that clay jar in Anatoth, the birthplace of Jeremiah. And they're going to discover that deed. And you say, well, Brother Paul, that's kind of far-fetched. That's science fiction. Well, 
200 years before Jesus was born, they put scrolls in clay pots and didn't find them until 1947. They're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see, when God makes a promise, He always keeps it. You say, well, Brother Paul, these, these folks were in captivity. They were over in Babylon. They were going through a terrible time. You know why they were there? Because of the sin of disobedience. God had told Jeremiah, said, you preach, tell them my words. You tell them what I said. And here for half a century, Jeremiah told them what God said. And the Bible says the reason they were not is because they would not listen to his words. The plight of Israel was because of the sin of disobedience. I, does that have a, do we have a problem with that among the people that we speak before? Sunday after Sunday? I think we do. Because I sit right back there. And sometimes I don't listen to everything that Brother Mike says. Because I maybe think I already know it. And then I'm reminded one day, what did my word say? And I'm reminded of that message that I heard that I haven't done anything about. Israel's plight was because of the sin of idolatry. In chapter 25, in verse 6, he says, you've gone after other gods. You've gone after other gods. You've followed after other gods. And you've worshipped them. And you've served them. You say, well, Brother Paul, that's wonderful. Those people, they, they ought to have been there. That, those ragtag folks, they ought to have been over there in Babylon. We don't have any gods around here. Oh, we don't? Really and truly, we don't have any other gods? What about your stuff? Is that a god? For some people, it is. Sometimes it's our family. Sometimes it's our, our position. Sometimes it's our power. Sometimes it's who we are, who we're not. We have all kinds of idols in our life. We may not go into our bedroom and open up a little closet and have some idols there and bow down and worship them, but we've got so many idols, we don't know what to do with them. One reason we go into captivity... One reason we feel like we're abandoned by God is because of the sin of idolatry in our lives. Instead of taking care of God's business first, we take care of our business first. Somebody else will take care of God's business. And so we wind up in Babylon, our proverbial Babylon feeling like God doesn't love us anymore and that He doesn't hear our prayers. And it's, we're there because of our idolatry. Then Israel was not only in Babylon because of their sin of disobedience and idolatry, but Israel's restoration hinged on the sign of their obedience. In this chapter... Nine times God says, I will do it. I'll do it. 
You don't have to do it. I'll do it. But I want to see some signs of obedience. He says, turn ye again, everyone, from their evil way and from the evil of your doings and dwell in the land that God has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. And then I will not harm you. Jeremiah 29, verse 5 and verse 26. You see, God's restoration is a promise. He's promised to restore us. You see, the thing that He's looking for is a sign of obedience. If God were to look at your life from beginning to end, would He find you faithful? Are you just a Sunday morning Christian? What does God see when He looks at your life? Is it faithfulness? Is it obedience? Are there any signs in your life that you're being obedient to God and following His call for your life? God has a plan for you, whether you have a plan for your life or not. And we can find God when we seek Him with our whole heart. And the restoration of our life and the blessings of our life is a promise from the Lord. Listen to that 11th verse again. The Lord said, I have plans for you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I have plans for you. God has a plan for your life. That plan involves a place that he's preparing, a person, a person of Jesus, his son, David's successor, born 600 years after this verse was written, born three, 900 years after David died, his successor has come to light, and whosoever confesses him and believes in him, will be saved. And then God, it involves a profession. What are you going to say to God when he calls you into to account? Are you going to say, Lord, I did the best I could. That's not good enough. I tried to be good. <laughs> you couldn't be good if you wanted to. There's nothing good about us. In fact, Jesus says there's nothing good, no, not one, not a person. We're born in sin. We, we have sin in our nature, and we can't be good. That's not a criteria for getting to heaven. The only criteria for getting to heaven is it doing what God says for us to do. is to embrace His Son as Lord and Savior, and to confess Him with our mouth, and believe in Him in our heart. And we'll be saved. I'm probably speaking to somebody here today. That you've been saying, well, I go to church pretty often. Well, that's not a criteria for getting to heaven. You can go to every church and 
and perform every ritual you can think of and be baptized in every pun and fish pun and baptister until every frog knows you by first name. And that ain't going to get you to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. I'm probably speaking to somebody here today that you've been putting this off for a long, long time. You're expecting some kind of miracle. You're expecting some kind of out-of-body experience. Well, I want to tell you, the miracle doesn't happen until you receive him. That's when the miracle happens. The miracle happens when you receive him. You see, salvation, the miracle happens when you embrace it, when you receive it. I'm sure I'm speaking to somebody here today that they know good and well that there's some things that step standing between them and their maker. That's why we have prayer time. For you to come and talk to God. Get it all cleaned up. You see, he's willing to forgive. But you've got to ask him. There may be people here that have been attending this church for several years, but never has become a part of the fellowship. I invite you to come. Being obedient to the Lord means following him in baptism. Whatever you believe about baptism, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to question that, but I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you're baptized when you're submerged in water, but that's not the baptism that really counts. It's not the one that really counts. The one that really counts is when you receive the Lord Jesus, He baptizes you into the body of Christ. That's the one that counts. When you receive him, he places you into the body. Some of you need to receive him this morning and be placed in the body of Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.